If you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting Glass Tire. All of the money we raise, since we are a nonprofit, goes right back into our coverage of Texas's art and artists. Our coverage is supported thanks to readers and listeners like you. If you would like to contribute, you can do so at glasstire.com forward slash donate. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hello and welcome to Art Dirt. This is the Glass Tire podcast where we talk about topical art topics. I'm William Saradet. I'm Jessica Fuentes. And today, Jessica and I are going to discuss a recent trip we took to South Texas just this past January. Um, we got back right at the beginning of February, which means, yes, we were derailed by inclement weather. But we're back, we're safe, and we have lots to talk about. Similar to our visit to the Texas Panhandle in summer of 2022, we picked a lot of places and we saw a lot of spaces every day. Uh, so we're relocating daily, seeing as much as we can, meeting as many people and as many museums, institutions, cultural organizations, and the like. So we started our trip in Laredo, just west of the Rio Grande Valley, and we trekked east along the border until we reached Brownsville, at which point we hopped north a little bit to Corpus Christi Rockport area before heading home. And so, Jessica, as we were kind of coming to an end of the trip, I think you said that we had totaled 15 stops during this trip. Is that is that about right? So we actually did about 16 official stops. Um, and I'm counting places like um, local colleges and their art departments, um, meetings that we held with artists and art organizers, visits to arts organizations, um, and even visits to private collections um, as part of that official 16 stops. But aside from that, we also made a couple of little detours and got to go to a few unofficial stops, like when we were in Laredo and we visited the U.S.-Mexico border. Yeah, I mean, just from that list alone, um, I think the listener will be able to tell. We saw just an insane variety and range of types of cultural production, types of people operating in that way. Um, so we just have a ton to talk about. So let's get into it. So to make it simple, we'll just start at the beginning. Um, we got into Laredo, immediately got some food, and then we stopped at Laredo College, where we just immediately ran into Maria Solis, the chair of the art department at Laredo College. And she was really generous with her time showing us their facilities, just kind of walking us through classrooms, dark rooms, studio spaces, drawing studios. One of them had a class ongoing that we were able to just kind of watch them working for a little bit. Um, and Maria was very helpful in pointing us to a couple of people uh, outside of what we had already planned to see. So 
thank you, Maria. Uh, it was lovely to see Laredo College. Yeah, one of my favorite things that we get to do on these trips, like when we were in the Panhandle, is just seeing the art departments of different institutions that I've maybe heard of but never actually visited. It's always really impressive what kinds of facilities they have. Um, and Laredo College was no different. It had an amazing ceramic studio. As someone who is not a ceramicist, um, it still came off as very impressive, the range of kilns that they had and uh, the type of work that students were doing. Maria was pretty intent on discussing how Laredo College, being kind of a smaller school, it doesn't grant fine art degrees. Um, It grants associates degrees with access to arts education. But even with that in mind, Maria was kind of intent on describing the school as being able to meet the needs of the students kind of in a different way than if they were um, competing at a larger institution for resources and, you know, professors' time and space. So she really took a lot of pride in the access and the affordability they were able to give local students and with full knowledge that um, if those students taking photo classes or drawing fundamentals, if they want to pursue fine art, they will move on to a bigger school or just a different school period to pursue that degree program. Um, Yeah, it was just, it was interesting to see and heartening to see a smaller school that had like the vision to help its community and like knew how to do that. Yeah, another college that we got to see while we were on our trip was in Edinburgh. Um, We saw UT RGV, University of Texas at the Rio Grande Valley. Even though we didn't get to see a full tour of their art department, we were able to see an exhibition that was on view, um, an MFA thesis show, um, and we just got to walk around the campus a bit. And um, it was a really lovely space, and there was a lot going on, a lot of construction, a lot that is being built up. And so it's exciting to see that kind of growth and development. Yeah, I mean, as an alum of the UT system myself, I went to UTA, uh, it's nice to see all of the different branches across Texas and what they kind of have to offer, what they prioritize, because these are kind of school systems that are not as widely discussed as, you know, like the big capital centers, but they do have resources um, and they are offering programs relevant to their local communities. So it was cool to walk around the campus and see what it's like going to college in Edinburgh. Um, That was fun. One of the places I wish we would have had a chance to see, but we were kind of running short on time at the end, was the Texas A&M University uh, Corpus Christi. We heard some really great things about the art department there, but maybe we'll swing in next time we're in Corpus to see that. That would have been nice to see. Um, However, it's pretty hard to beat the Art Museum of South Texas, which... It was, was it both your and my first time to visit? Yeah, it was. Alexis de Leon, the marketing coordinator, gave us an illustrious tour um, on Monday when the museum was closed, which is really great for foot traffic. You get a nice private viewing. Um, You can take pictures without having to wait for people to kind of move out of frame a little bit. However, 
the Art Museum of South Texas in Corpus currently has an exhibition of inflatable sculpture, uh, which I thought was incredibly alluring and was super excited to see. But when the museum is closed, those fans are not turned on. So we actually had to come back the following morning just to take a peek at all of those pieces fully on display. Um, and we were warned by <laughs> by Alexis that they're quite loud. So um, just if you have sensory sensitivities, be prepared because those fans have to be on in order for the piece to be fully activated. Yeah, and it was it was definitely a highlight of the trip to see that exhibition. Um, in fact, it made it to our top five when we came back. So it was nice to be able to highlight um, that great show after just seeing it. One thing that surprised me about um, the Art Museum of South Texas um, was just how close it was to the water. Um, having been born on Galveston Island and visiting the island often, I'm just so used to the giant seawall and all of the sand that stands between the city and the ocean. Um, but to see the art museum literally right on the cusp of the bay um, with the water right below um, was really surprising. But it was great to see the newer building that has recently been built um, alongside the original Philip Johnson building. The Art Museum of South Texas, um, colloquially in town, they kind of call it the Art Museum, um, which is a little bit shorter to say. Uh, but for the full context of this discussion, I want to make sure everyone knows what we're talking about. Um, yeah, so at the Art Museum of South Texas, you're right, Jessica, the weather is kind of, you can't ignore it. It's right there at the edge of the museum. And also, we learned from Alexis during our tour the interior terraces of the museum were actually like originally intended to house plants, which I imagine would look really beautiful in that space. But you informed me immediately, Jessica, that's you can't do that in museums. You can't have live plants. It's a big no-no. Um, when I was working in museums, you couldn't even bring in like a small potted cactus to your desk because... Um, plants have bugs. It's amazing to me how much has changed um, in how we think about museums and how museums have been designed over time um, because that building was specifically designed to have plants in these terraces and these beautiful um, sunlights above them. Um, but nowadays that would definitely not be part of the conception and the design of the building. The elements of light and water... Uh, throughout the museum and outside of it. Yeah, it's really like a central experience that is kind of impossible to describe and give it full credit. You you just have to go see it. Highly recommend. So I think roughly relative to the kind of size or mass of the Art Museum of South Texas on our list would be the International Museum of Art and Science in McAllen. Um, would you agree with that, Jessica? Yeah, I think that's a fair statement. Anastasia Perez, the marketing and development coordinator for IMAS in McAllen, gave us a tour there and equally lovely time. We had a great time seeing their 
again, older part of the building and the newer addition to the building. Um, Jessica, you were interested in talking to Anastasia about how the museum merges those two arms of programming, art and science. Yeah, I think, um, especially in North Texas, we see a lot of purely art museums, or maybe if you see a combination museum, it's like a science and history museum. I'm really interested in how institutions merge these two types of subjects that aren't traditionally thought of as belonging together, but that we as artists know that there are so many similarities between art and science. Even just the processes, um, like the artistic creative process and the scientific method, are both very much about experimentation, trial and error, um, to even sometimes the end products um, and the way that things are documented and created. Um, As a photographer, a lot of science also relies on photography, Um, whether it's micro photography or even like the the newest camera that was developed for documenting outer space, the web camera. um, Those are things that I see a lot of connectivity between art and science. And so, yeah, I'm really interested in investigating that further. And it was great to kind of talk to Anastasia about how the museum approaches those things. I was also really interested to learn that the IMAS is a Smithsonian affiliate. I know that Texas does have a few Smithsonian affiliates out there, um, but I hadn't been aware of that before. Um, So I think that also really raises the bar on the kinds of exhibitions that they can have come through um, because they can tap into that network of Smithsonian institution organizations. Right. Like in some cases, as Anastasia was telling us, um, they're actually having a dialogue with the Smithsonian when the exhibition is being constructed to make sure that it fits their space appropriately. There, we saw a couple of like custom created graphics and uh, like presentation fixtures um, that augmented the exhibition when it traveled from the Smithsonian to McAllen. Um, and that was just something I hadn't quite considered before that even as far down in South Texas, like there's people there that are communicating with the Smithsonian to make sure that the programming, um, it doesn't just come in a box and then they have to figure out how to put it on the walls. Like they're actually collaborating. And I thought that was really cool. So the Art Museum of South Texas and the International Museum of Art and Science in McAllen both have original structures that were added onto um, and in Rockport, they recently finished building a whole brand new uh, campus. It's, it is like a campus. It's two buildings, the new main exhibition space for the Rockport Center for the Arts. And then on the same campus, there is the ROCC, the R-O-C-C. And that is um, a conference center for Rockport. We met with Elena Rodriguez, the curator of the Rockport Center for the Arts, and then she walked us over to the conference center where we met with Paulette Cluj, the conference center manager. And Paulette was able to show us their demonstration and educational kitchen facilities, as well as their meeting rooms and kind of like central gathering space. 
Um, yeah, which really adds like a level of community involvement that I don't know that I've seen anywhere else in Texas, uh, a, a kitchen for demonstration purposes. Like how interesting. Yeah, that was so interesting. And to also hear about like their plans for programming and working with different community organizations to utilize that kitchen. Um, I'm really excited to see what they do with it. Um, and outside of that too, they had great studio facilities. Um, so there were facilities inside the building, um, for all kinds of, you know, workshops and just very flexible workspaces, but also a great ceramic studio that members can pay an additional monthly fee, something very small, like 20 or $30 a month to have access to this full ceramic studio. Um, and while we were there, we got to see a few people working. So that was great. Yeah, we, you know, at Glass Tire, we're always reporting on what museums are doing, what's new, what's happening, new hires, uh, programs, expansions, announcements of all kinds. And so we've been hearing a lot about the RCA, the upcoming new RCA building for a while. And it was really rewarding to get to see them show us in their own words, like, this is what we can now offer this community. um, And this is the promise that we can make good on finally, now that it's done. So they were just right at the edge of opening um, their birds and art exhibition, which we got a sneak preview of since it wasn't going to open until the next day. So chronologically, this would be before we went to Rockport, but um, we also saw the Harlingen Arts and Heritage Museum. And so this is another kind of like hyphenate museum Yes, um, another one of those things that I love. Um, So this was very much um, an art and history kind of museum. When we visited, there was an exhibition of quilts, um, which were lovely. And they all spoke to Shakespearean plays, which was a little unexpected, but it was great to see. And there were some really creative and different kinds of techniques that we saw um, on these various quilts. And that was technically uh, like an international exhibition. Those fabric works had been brought in from, uh, I want to say like the UK, the US, all over. Yeah, yeah, that was really impressive. Um, And then outside of the main building for the museum, behind that, there's three or four um, smaller structures, including the first home built in Harlingen. Um, So when you walk in, it's like visiting a a heritage site and being able to see um, furniture and household items and clothing from the time in which it was built. It gave a little context to the place that we were visiting, to the, the, I mean, the whole region, which is experiencing change just like every part of Texas. You can't escape it. Um, Yeah, I think that was among the, like, historically oriented sites that we saw. By nature of the region, some of the places we visited just were going to be old. You know, not everything is brand new, right? Similarly, when we were in Laredo at the beginning of our trip, um, we got a tour of Casa Ortiz, Um, which is also an older structure. And we got to learn a little about its history 
So Casa Ortiz is a historic site, um, but currently it is the home of the Laredo Cultural District. Um, and they hold events there and exhibitions. Um, and so we got to see some works by Laredo College students. And we had a lovely tour by Julio Mendez, who is a volunteer for the cultural district. Casa Ortiz was cool for a number of reasons. One of them was that it's it's elevated from the riverbank. So when you go through the galleries, past like the domestic, the former domestic spaces, into the courtyard and up against the fence, you can see uh, literally across the border to Mexico. And immediately below, like below your feet, when you're kind of staring to the Mexico side, you can see these long slopes that descended down from the courtyard, basically to the riverbank. And Julio told us that that was for horses to be able to travel up and down um, when the original landowners had built the structure. There's beautiful orange trees all along the property as well. It's really beautiful. It's, of course, been kind of like butted up against over time as everything has been developed. So you can't quite go down to the river and just hang out. Um, but I mean, I don't know, it just it really took me to a time and an era that I've never experienced before. I didn't even necessarily really know that it was in my own state, per se. Um, so yeah, really, really a beautiful, beautiful space. Not far from Casa Ortiz is um, the Laredo Center for the Arts. Executive Director Rosie Santos was kind enough to give us a tour. Um, also, this was off open hours. So thank you for taking the time to open the doors for us, Rosie. And uh, yeah, that building has its own history. It was originally, I want to say, a library for the city. Um, it had been gov- a government building in the past. And currently, it remains as such. It's just serving the arts. Normally, they would have an exhibition on view, but they were doing like their annual theatrical production. Um, So there wasn't an exhibition to see, but we were able to talk to Rosie about programs and how she manages the annual calendar. Rosie took us upstairs and showed us their stunning, beautiful, naturally lit upstairs exhibition space. Um, Just tons of really tall windows. You can oversee, you know, a couple of corners of downtown from from where you are up in that space. As well as their gift shop, which features um, shirts that they produce for every exhibition, I I believe she said. Yeah, that was really impressive. Um, And we also got to see some of the catalogs from past exhibitions. And I believe that in their gift shop, they sell some works by regional artists, um, some jewelry pieces and things like that. Um, Maybe let's talk about collectors next, because we talked about museums and art spaces, and and collectors are that pathway sometimes between artists and these larger institutions. Um, So we didn't speak with a lot of collectors, but um, we did in Harlingen get to speak with Bill and Sue DeBrook, 
um, who are longtime residents of the city and who are very invested in both the city and the art scene. Bilderbrook is a businessman who owns many buildings in Harlingen, and um, we learned about him actually through some artists first in McAllen who were talking about um, renting spaces from him in the near future. Um, so that's how we, we first learned about him. And then when we got to Harlingen, we got to visit with him and his wife and see one of the spaces that they own. Yeah, so as you can imagine, on a trip like this, when we're relocating every day, we're meeting at least three or four people a day and making appointments with them. Uh, There's just a whole lot of texting going on. (laughs) Um, We actually ran into Bill DeBrook at the Harlingen Art Walk, and we confirmed that we would have breakfast the next day. After breakfast, we traveled to his home and office downtown which houses his massive collection um, of fine art, local art, and lots of other stuff, too. It houses a fraction of his massive collection, to be clear. That's true. Towards the end of the tour uh, that Bill and Sue were giving us of their space, he told us this is just a portion of what we have. We have other buildings, and the other buildings have stuff. Uh, in them as well. And when we had run into him the night before at Harlingen Art Walk, he was kind of just flipping through his collection of stuff he had purchased that night. So this is kind of like, one could assume like a weekly occurrence, uh, or at least a very frequent occurrence that he's talking to artists and he's going out and seeing what people are showing. He's picking things up and he's bringing it back to his space. Um, So the sheer volume was really awe-inspiring. He had a room just for film cameras, just for cameras. Uh, I take that back. I think there was like a little plinth in the back that had some like really beautiful mid-century glassware. But for the most part, (laughs) that was the camera room. Um, I saw you eyeing some Minoltas, Jessica, in that room. There were lots of things to be eyed. Um, I thought it was really interesting that beyond, you know, the traditional things that we think of as art, um, the kinds of things that Bill and Sue are collecting. And as they kind of told us a bit about themselves and their collection, it became clear that they have a history of um, purchasing and renovating spaces. Um, And then that made their collection make a whole lot more sense from the glassware and the furniture to other household items like radios and televisions. Um, It made sense that people with a strong sense um, and passion for interior design would have a collection so diverse, which is very different from the collection that we saw in Brownsville. I know. So um, pretty soon after that, uh, next day or two, we traveled to Brownsville um, and we were fortunately introduced to Gabriela and Luis Hernandez. And they are collectors from Mexico City that live in Brownsville. Uh, They built a gorgeous, also very light-filled, lots of big windows in this house. Uh, They built their home 
it was over a decade ago. It's it's like semi-recently. Um, and they built the house with the intention to fill it with art. Um, so this is a very like clean, shiny space. It is, you know, by all means, a sizable, sizable house. Uh, but I think, Jessica, one of the things that you're pointing to in the difference is that their collection did not consist of thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of items. <laughs> um, it was a much more manageable kind of personal reflection of their taste and vision for their domestic space. You know, um, it's not a museum. However, Jessica, you kind of posed the question, if there was interest in garnering a loan from these beautiful pieces that you've collected, some of which they commissioned to be made, uh, would you respond favorably to a loan request? And Luis said, yeah, that sounds great. I would I would be so interested in that. So there was just a little bit of a difference in terms of quantity as well as like presentation. Like when you collect the work, does it have a place that it's going to go to be displayed on? Where is it going to live? Uh, how are you going to manage just acquiring what you're acquiring. One of the things that I loved as an educator um, was that Luis had books um, about each of the artists in his collection. Um, and many of the books featured the works of art that he had purchased. Um, and so I love that idea as an educator that he would um, choose to have these things in his house so that both he and his family could be more knowledgeable about the works that they own, but also so that they could share that information with visitors. Yeah, I think that when we sat down, I did what I always do. I'm just like ocularly checking out the books in the space, the visuals on the walls. And I think once we were done, I you had made that comment, Jessica, and I was like, oh, I think they have like a catalog for every artist represented on their walls. Um, just sitting out on the coffee table, displayed nearby. And um, I was like, yeah, I think that's a really, really great rule uh, because you're going to have guests over. They're going to see what's on the walls and they'll be like, what is that? And then when they look down to grab their coffee cup, you know, or their glass of water, they'll be like, oh, it's that artist. <laughs> I, I can see the painting on the book. Um, yeah, I thought that was really really nice. It was interesting in such a short time span to see such very different ways of collecting and presenting a collection. And with that, we are going to wrap up this leg of the discussion about our trip to not just the Rio Grande Valley, but uh, a large portion of South Texas. Today, we talked about some of the people we met through the museums, through the institutions, the cultural organizations, and even the collectorship of South Texas. And so in the next episode, we'll get into the nitty gritty surrounding the artists, what, what the artists are like from South Texas. Their studio spaces, some of the smaller galleries that they exhibit in, cultural spaces, a little bit of activism, a little bit of film. We will be working on that discussion for a future episode coming soon. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to check our events calendar for exhibitions and art events happening across the state. And if you're able to, go see some art. 
qu'un CSMR. This podcast was recorded by Glass Tire and edited by William Saradet. Copyright Glass Tire 2023.